Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. This is the Summer Hack Podcast. And just a warning, we're going to be speaking about relationship violence, domestic violence. If this is something that you think you might find really hard to listen to or triggering, it's probably not the thing for you right now. There are a lot of misconceptions about young relationships. And of course, young love can be really sweet and innocent And cringe at times, I think we can all admit, if you remember back to those early relationships, some of the stuff that you did or said maybe makes you wince now. But there's another side to teenage relationships that we don't hear a lot about, and that's abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse. Some research out last year found nearly a third of Australian teenagers have experienced intimate partner violence over the previous 12 months. And rightfully, that freaked a lot of people out. And they were saying, how could this happen? How could this be? Is this accurate data? Well, this kind of abuse can impact anyone. But unfortunately, there's a lot of stigma around speaking out, like all kinds of abuse. Not only are survivors worried that they're not going to be believed. They're young people who think, oh, I don't know where to go. And I don't know if people will really take on board what I'm saying. But a lot of older people may not accept that it's as serious as it is. And that includes parents who mean well but may palm something off and say, oh, it's probably not as serious as they're making out. They're being a little dramatic. There's someone with us now who's been through quite a lot of this. She's 22, but she started experiencing domestic violence and sexual abuse years ago as a teenager. She was from a supportive, loving family. At school, a lot of friends, average young person, outwardly seeming like everything was fine, like it was perfect, but it wasn't. And now she's committed to changing the conversation and the reality for other young people who are going through the same thing. Her name is Anna Kootstrotter, and she is with me now. Anna, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Thanks for having me, Dave. This is really intense stuff to speak about, obviously, but it's important. When did you realise that you were being abused? It wasn't like a moment, one moment that it happened. It was a a gradual process. And I think it, I mean, it took years. Um, I was with him for a few years. I mean, I know that the abuse started very early on into the relationship and it did take me a few years to sort of come to terms with what I'd experienced or what I was experiencing at the time. But I guess I, you know, I was looking at my my parents' relationship and I was thinking, you know, I'm not being loved the way that my dad loves my mum and my mum loves my dad. And I felt I was loving him. You know, I was, I was so young. I didn't know what it was, but I just could really see that, you know, this this relationship with my parents. But then I also looked at other young people around me and I was thinking, well, a lot of them are in very similar relationships to me. So maybe this is just what it's like to be a young person and to be in a relationship. And, you know, maybe there are elements of um, control and jealousy and, and things like that. So you say you were 15 when it kind of started. What kind of things are we talking about broadly here? And what was the impact that it had on you? Coercive control and physical violence, sexual violence in the end as well. I mean, most of it was really the emotional abuse. That was kind of the main thing that kept going the whole way through. And that's things like um, needing to be constantly available over text and call and sharing my location with him so he knew where I was, being sort of bombarded with love and then having that love withdrawn and taken from me and then kind of being desperate to get that back. You must have been experiencing so many different emotions. How was it manifesting in you, like your 
your mood, uh, your performance at school, maybe your relationship with your family? Was there a big impact that your family noticed? Yeah, it was a huge um, impact. I think my mum talks about seeing me like eat less and withdraw from my family, want to spend time, less time with them, spending less time with my friends as well. So being really isolated from my friends. And I think, you know, they just didn't really understand what I was experiencing. Like we were so young. This was, you know, one of my first relationships. It was the longest um, relationship that I had as a young person. Yeah. So I think I was, I was withdrawing a lot um, and I wasn't doing things that I liked. And um, I was eating less. I was, I think my, my grades didn't necessarily suffer that much. Um, I think that it was definitely harder for me to pay attention in school. And there were times in class where I just, I couldn't do anything. Like I would just be so distressed and so disorganized. I couldn't focus on anything and things like that. But I think, you know, I, I kept studying and I had everything available to me that meant that it was easy for me to, you know, access tutoring or um, study after school and things like that. I should say, like for context as well now, for people to know, your mum is someone our audience might be familiar with. She's one of the most high profile politicians <laughs> in the country, uh, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek. And your dad, Michael Kutstrotter, is also well known uh, across the country as well. Do you think that they knew what was happening or did you have to really spell it out for them? No, I think I think they were away. Yeah, my my parents didn't want me to spend time with him, but being a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, you know, your parents tell you to not spend time with the boy, you're going to spend more time with that boy. So I, you know, I was a teenager. I was I wasn't going to listen to what my parents were telling me to do, but yeah, they were worried. They talked to me about their concerns and they just, like, I could not be luckier with, with my parents. They are so understanding and loving and empathetic and they're just incredible. They completely let, let me lead the healing and recovery process and the way that I told them and, and all of that. They, they gave me so much control and agency in that, which is just so important for survivors because, you know, sexual violence, we've had our agency and our autonomy removed from us, taken from us. And to be able to regain that is a really important part of the healing. And uh, my parents were just so good at that. When did it get to the point where you were like, this can't continue? I think, again, like I really think it's that gradual thing. Like it's I don't know, the closest analogy, maybe like death by a thousand paper cuts. Like it's just every single time it was worse. Every time I went back, it would get worse because I would break up with him several times. And I think I just, I just had enough. And I just thought like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And my mum would say to me, this relationship is a lot of work for you. You don't have children with him. You don't have a mortgage with him what is it exactly that is keeping you staying? Like she was just helping me kind of come to terms with it myself, which and, was. Really and what cool. is it do you think that was keeping you staying? I think that it's my personality. I'm studying social work and there's a lot of evidence that people in caring professions are experience abuse at higher rates than and other pro professions. And that's because I think we're in caring professions because we care about people and we believe that people can change and that there may be a role that we can play in that and that we can support them in that. And so I think I just kept thinking it'll get better and I can play a role in, in helping it get better and then we'll be very happy and we'll, you know, whatever. It sounds like you obviously have a really good relationship with your parents, which is great. But even with a really good relationship with your parents, there's this conflict because you're at a young age, if you are a teenager, as young as 15, 16, 17, 
you're not at that age generally sharing a lot with your parents, right? Yeah. And this is, and this is, people might often say to you, oh, why didn't you just tell your parents exactly what was going on from the beginning? Or why weren't you disclosing? Do you find that a bit frustrating when people maybe don't understand for young people in particular, young survivors of this kind of abuse, that it's just not easy? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say to anybody asking that question, why don't you just tell them when you're that age? How many of them were talking to their parents about consensual sex that they were having at that age, let alone non-consensual sex and experience of of violence and abuse? Like, of course, we're not going to tell people, you know, our parents at that age. And um, I think there's also an element that um, for survivors of of, um, domestic violence or other forms of violence at all ages, we don't really want to tell the people that we love because if we tell them there's there's a finality to that. Like we, we can't get back into a relationship with somebody that we've just told everybody mm. is abusive. And so there's a lot, of, a, a lot of keeping it to ourselves for that reason and also because for a lot of survivors, you know, we feel, we feel shame and we feel sometimes partly responsible or for some people fully responsible for what we're experiencing and some people will say, you know, well, I, I felt I deserved it and so why would you be, you know, opening up to people and telling people about what you're experiencing when you haven't really come to terms with it yourself? You know, you're still thinking, processing it yourself. Were you surprised when you saw those figures that were out recently showing a third of Australian teenagers had experienced intimate partner violence over the past year? I mean, a lot of people were. Did it surprise you? It didn't surprise me. No, there's, when I was growing up, there are a lot of people that looking back, I would think now they were experiencing domestic violence as young people. And is it something that you were talking about with friends or is that another complicating issue when maybe you're in a young relationship, your friends are as well, you're trying to keep this image that things are going well, that was it hard to to talk about with your friends, do you think? Yeah, I think also we just didn't know. Like we just, we didn't have the comprehensive, respectful relationship and sex education that we needed to to know what we were actually experiencing. And so, you know, we, we learnt about really overt forms of violence, like when somebody hits you or um, somebody, you know, sexually assaults you or whatever it is, but we weren't learning about coercive control None of our teachers said you shouldn't share your location with your boyfriend on Snapchat or your girlfriend or whoever on Snapchat mm. or you shouldn't you don't need to be constantly available to them you don't need to FaceTime them for 8 hours every afternoon and nobody was telling us that it wasn't part of our education because teachers are under-resourced they're flat out they've got so much else to worry about and also they're in a generation older than us and so probably they weren't sharing their own locations on yeah. Snapchat with their partners at the time Do you think as well that there's this strange view or picture in their head that people have of who is impacted by abuse, but also who's a perpetrator of abuse? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so fortunate and I have, I have so much privilege available to me and that there are a lot of people who would just think, how could it happen to her? My, you know, my mum's a feminist. She's been in, she's been supporting survivors since in high school, you know, it's been part of her and publicly supporting survivors as a politician her whole career. And same with my dad, he's incredible. Um, and he's done so much for survivors, especially when he was working in the, at the Department of Communities and Justice and in Premier and Cabinet. 
And so people probably just think, how, how can it happen to her when her parents know so much? And I've, you know, been raised around survivors and staunch advocates and feminists and people like that. So I guess, you know, probably people don't expect it. And to your point about perpetrators as well, I guess I think a lot of people have this idea that a perpetrator of sexual violence is somebody who jumps out in an alleyway and is a stranger to you. But statistically, that's the least likely option it's it's most likely to be somebody that is known to you whether a relationship or a family member or a friend or someone close to you this is hack i'm dave marchese i'm speaking with anna coots trotter abuse survivor advocate raising awareness of violence in young relationships in particular anna do you think there's a lot of confusion as well about what services are available to young people because there there is a lot of support that might be available but maybe if you're going through that you don't know what's out there to help you yeah and I think also for a lot of young people like myself I didn't know that it was um, domestic abuse domestic violence I didn't have I wasn't ready to put a name to it and I just didn't know and so the services that were available at the time I didn't think they were for me I didn't I didn't think that I would be eligible I didn't think I'd fit the criteria of that um, and I think, you know, very early on, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a young person, I'm living at home, I don't need to access services like that. And I remember sort of grappling in the beginning with like, do I deserve to access these services? Because I don't have a kid, I didn't have a kid with him. I was living at home, I, I didn't need, you know, housing or any immediate needs or things like that. So I kind of think I invalidated myself and I just thought do I deserve this am I taking up space for other survivors who need it more than me and I used to say that to my counsellor all the time Um, she was just fantastic she was very validating and she would say well of course you do because every survivor deserves access to support and the other issue is there are incredibly long waiting lines the services are under-resourced underfunded so Sometimes in Sydney, you can be waiting 18 months for a sexual assault counsellor. And then can you imagine regional rural areas? It's more than two years in some places. What's it been like since you've started speaking about your experiences, started advocating in this area? Because I think a lot of people as well would be scared about what happens when they make that commitment to uh, talk to people about it and share their experiences it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to do it, to be able to articulate what I'm thinking and to be able to use my um, my anger and my experiences into something that can be positive and that can make change. And it has also been incredibly um, heartwarming and has led to a lot of connection with people because I didn't know that, you know, my whole life I've known survivors because they weren't publicly telling me that or telling other people that and so when I first went public I had I had about I think it would have been between about 10 disclosures in the first week wow and, and those people I've known my whole life yeah um and so to know that there's been survivors around me the whole time and to be able to talk to them about that without shame and without secrecy and just say, you know, this is something that's happened to us, but it's not our fault. And how incredible is it that we can connect with each other and and support one another on that. And that's really, you know, part of the idea of the Survivor Hub, a place for survivors to come and connect with one another and to be able to talk without shame and secrecy. Yeah, I want to talk about that because you have set up the Survivor Hub. Can you explain what it is? Yeah, so the Survivor Hub is a survivor-led initiative and the aim is to support, inform and empower people impacted by sexual assault. 
And so what that really means is we run peer support groups in New South Wales, Victoria and online. And um, peer support groups are groups of survivors. They can nominate any topic they want to talk about. Some of the most common topics would be things like navigating new relationships and intimacy, post-sexual assault, navigating the court process and the police process. And obviously we can't offer legal advice, but we can offer support from people who have been through the process. Um, Friendships, um, relationships, medication, therapy, all sorts of things like that. Anything that a survivor wants to talk about is relevant to a peer support group. It's a really interesting time in Australia, I guess, because we've got this uh, setting where people like yourself, I'm thinking about Chanel Contos, Grace Tame, young women who are not only being listened to, but really celebrated for advocating and trying to change things in this country. But still, we've got this issue of domestic family violence, of uh, women in particular being killed every week. What do you make about this particular time we're in in Australia right now, the discussions we're having about these issues and where we're going? Sometimes I feel really excited and I feel, you know, there's so many incredible people doing amazing things, the people that you've just named, as well as um, Saxon Mullins and Harrison James, my, my friend, and lots and lots of survivor advocates doing incredible work and, and really sort of cracking away at like, you know, they've picked these these specific pockets that they're really passionate about and just kind of making change in those areas. And I think that's amazing. So sometimes I feel really, really good about it. I feel really positive. I feel really excited. And I just think, wow, look at these incredible people. And then sometimes I feel exhausted and I feel like, you know, we're survivor advocates. We're reliving our experiences daily for some of us, weekly for others. And I think we're reliving it. And then why? Like, is there actually change being made? Or is it for the benefit of people who just love to hear the stories, but then don't want to make any change from that? So I go between the two. Um, At the moment, I'm feeling really positive and I'm feeling really excited about it, about, you know, possibility for change. And there's just a lot to do, basically. There's just so much that, that needs to change. Have you noticed changes in whether it's your social group or just around you in society more broadly among young people speaking about these issues or wanting to talk about them more openly? I definitely think so. I think that I'm really fortunate to be part of a generation that talks more openly and and actually can talk more openly about sexual violence, domestic violence and, and other things like that. I think that, you know, in my mum's generation my parents generation you know they were the 1970s feminists so that it was it was becoming easier to talk about it and they were talking about it more and they were doing more advocacy work but I think that young survivor advocates we are you know standing on the shoulders of those 1970s feminists and because of that we just have so much more ability to talk about things like this without shame and without secrecy like I don't feel I don't feel shame at all when I talk about it I don't feel responsible I think you know the person who should feel shame and feel responsible is a person who chose to use violence and I think that that is something that my generation that a lot of my generation obviously not all of us are able to feel and able to benefit from so I think yeah it's safer to have these conversations. 
it's huge work that you're doing and so many people are going to benefit just from hearing your story but also knowing that there are so many young passionate people out there working for change we appreciate you sharing your experiences with us Anna Kutztrotter, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Thank you so much. Summer Hack. That was Dave Marchese chatting with Anna Kutztrotter. And just a reminder, if this story has raised any concerns for you or you want to talk to someone, you can call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. Or Lifeline is always there for you on 13 11 14.